0: You're listening to Giro Vagando, the cycling podcast at the 2021 Giro d'Italia, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Today, we are in uh, Gorizia.
1: Tomorrow looks like a disaster. Weather forecast couldn't be much worse. we got rain, which turns to sleep, which turns to snow at the top of the passive. We've got 80 degrees in the finish, 0 degrees on the top, 5,500 meters of climbing, yeah. Not right. It's
0: getting, I won't say worse, but it's getting worse.
2: Well, Daniel, we're played in there by our audio diarist looking ahead, not very optimistically to tomorrow's monster stage. And then we heard from Max Chandry with what we hope will become his catchphrase. We've been desperate to use that again, haven't we?
3: The very same. Uh, Maximilian Chandry, Movistar Direct Sportif, who probably won't be very happy tonight because he had two guys in the break uh, Today. And neither of them managed to bring home the um, prosciutto.
2: Well, they got the wrong the wrong rider probably in that split in the end uh, with Victor Arts and uh, Albert Torres. There was a very nice moment actually beyond the line when he finished and went to congratulate uh, Campenarts and almost sort of apologised for not being able to do more when they were away, but he he was struggling and he was dropped. Eventually, we'll get on to. The stage, but we are looking ahead to tomorrow as well, aren't we?
3: Yes, I did. Um I, I said Rich we um well he didn't manage to bring home the prosciutto. We're enjoying some local prosciutto, some ham. We're typical of this region. You are enjoying a Heineken, Richard, and it's this is the this is the home How Udine. do you know I'm enjoying it? Well, <laughs> Udine is the home of Moretti beer. In fact, right on my lap right now, I've got a lovely hardback book. La Bira Moretti da Udine al Mondo, from Udine to the world. 130 years of prenditorial. No, that's not an English word, I'm translating badly. 130 year Moretti dynasty. I'm going to enjoy this later.
2: Well, This is. I'm just having what I was given here as our uh, aperitif and podcasting beer. Uh, right, on the other a, hand, a I'll glass have, uh, of a very nice looking yeah, white probably wine, a
3: Friulano from the Collier uh, region. Because we had you had a bit of a crash course on spritz, but we can't. We can't. No, get to everything, that's, can that's can we? covered in a
2: vlog earlier today. Um, Daniel, I'm looking forward to tomorrow because tomorrow morning is when we will go and relieve Elia Fiviani of a thousand euros uh, to that he promised to pay to not have to ride the stage. I, I imagine we'll, we'll take it from him probably in a, a suitcase or, or an envelope, uh, maybe a jiffy bag, and and then just say, that thanks, Elia, that's it, you don't have to ride now. Is that how, is that <laughs> how it's going to work? I turn? don't know. I don't, I don't really room, thought this through properly. I heard a
3: rumour about uh, Radio Viviani today. I don't know if this is already in the public domain, but he's been linked, Rich, to Ivan Basso's Eolo team Eolo who of course won the stage yesterday with Lorenzo and have ambitions Portugal. to become a
2: world tour team apparently they
3: do and I think they would like to use Viviani as well Eolo is I think it's a it's a, well, some uh, kind of internet? I think it is because they're all
2: over the well we better check this but they're all over the, the Giro they're a sponsor at the Giro and there seems to be a connection with the internet. But we, yes, we and they would like to
3: use... I mean, really, R- R- Nidzola R- 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 well, should be the guy <laughs> that they, they really ought to be looking very hard at, but they would like to use Viviani as some kind of, well... Um, you know, talisman yeah, internet or, or emblematic provider. figure for, you know, their very fast in- internet connection. all <laughs> Post- the boy perfect, of their, you know, fiber optic yeah. internet. But they'll have competition <laughs> from Giacomo Nitolo, who of course pulled out of the Giro this morning.
2: He did. He was a non-starter this morning. Um, probably relieved to be a non-starter given what happened at the start of today's stage. Daniel, you have to remind me of, of where we started. Um, Grada? Grado. We started in Grado on a sort of peninsula. Uh, a little we had to drive over kind of very flat uh, kind of well flat. Marshy kind lagoon of lagoon land. It felt like Florida a little bit, um, as we as we got out there. A nice little resort, a holiday resort, lots of restaurants and people there. Lots of people drinking spritz. Lots of people drinking spritz. It was it was quite pleasant a pleasant scene. But because it was on a the peninsula there was a bit of wind, even though Italy's not allegedly a windy country. That did make the start of the stage quite risky and and so it proved. The stage got underway as soon as the flag dropped, Victor Campanarts and Max Walshide of Quebec uh, Quebec Assos were on the attack and it was really ferocious behind them. Splits appearing immediately. And as we'll hear from James Knox a bit later on, he was caught up in the crash that happened, he thinks, in the first 500 metres of the stage. It really blocked the road. A lot of riders went down. Some riders obviously very badly hurt. Jos van Emden stayed down for quite a while. Emmanuel Buchmann as well. Ruben Guerrero. But the race was was neutralised initially. The riders rolled along and then stopped because all the doctors on the race were caring for the riders who'd fallen meaning that there was no medical cover for the peloton so I've seen this happen before the race was stopped um, it wasn't really a, you know, a, a decision it wasn't a decision, it, it's a rule that if there isn't medical cover then the race has to be stopped so the race did stop and the, the delay was quite uh, quite a long one in the end, it saw three abandons unfortunately, I mean there were at least 15 20 riders named as as having fallen but perhaps even perhaps there were even more than that um, Buchmann, Nathaniel, Barhani of Cofidis and Van Emden all abandoned on the spot Ruben Guerrero carried on for a bit a- an ambulance appeared at one point and a stretcher was brought out for him but then he got up and back on his bike carried on for a bit, didn't last long and abandoned soon after We've got
3: news tonight, Rich, as well, that one of the riders who crashed was Vincenzo Nibali, a bit of a, well, an innocuous-seeming crash, but he's having x-rays tonight. There's suspicion of broken or damaged ribs.
2: Yeah, various other riders down in the crash. Mario Schmidt, the stage winner on the Strada Bianchi and finished last on the stage, stage. I don't know how he is. Tobias Foss, who's up in the top 10 overall now, uh, thanks to Buchmann's withdrawal. Uh, he also came down in the crash, but hopefully uh, most of those guys are okay. When the race did get underway again, take two, uh, it was more or less exactly the the same as take one because once again, Arts was on the attack from the gun. Um, and he pulled away initially another four riders and they were joined by several others. And finally, a, a lead group of 15 formed at the front. There was one interesting moment because... With, We thought this might be a stage for Peter Sagan, but that would have probably taken a Herculean effort from his team who have Buchman, who had Buchmann, um, high overall. And so we weren't sure they would commit to that. With Buchmann out, we wondered if it would change things on the spot. And we did see Sagan trying to get involved in one or two attacks, but he didn't commit to that and his team didn't commit to helping him did. They said at the finish
3: this evening that their focus is very much... Sagan's at jersey
2: and they didn't think that was necessarily um, compatible with going for the stage win. Well it would have been a big effort and I think he's already got a stage win so had he not had a stage win it might have been uh, something we'd have seen. A leading group of 15 formed and I thought one thing that was notable about that group that they were was that they were all it wasn't your typical break at the Giro they were all world tour Riders, apart from two from Alpes and Fenix, who I think have ridden this Giro like a World Tour team in a lot of ways. They've won a stage, obviously, and they've been really involved deep into a lot of stages. They had Oscar Riesbeck and Dries de Bont, the Belgian champion, who's been on the tag just about every day up there. There are also three from Quebec at Assos. They had the 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 numerical advantage um, against all the other teams. There were two movie stars, two Lotto Soudal's. Two thirds of the entire Lotto Soudal team were in that break because they only got three riders left. But Riesbeck and uh, Arts were both very aggressive, and they eventually got away with uh, Albert Torres of Movistar. Torres though was really turning himself inside out to try and hang on on these grippy climbs. Not you know we weren't talking sort of alpine passes here, but it was a 1.8 kilometer. Climb that was pretty tough, and he couldn't hang on. Behind Dario Cataldo was making noises to try and get Meowing away, maybe bridge, loudly. bridge <laughs> across, but didn't didn't happen for him. Valkan Mollima was one of the notable riders behind, um, but left. He was up the road yesterday as well, wasn't he? So maybe uh, paying a bit for his efforts yesterday. We went through torrential rain. Um, it, it got very cold. Uh, into Slovenia, there were huge crowds out on the climb. But it was strange, the, the, the race, because race spec and camping arts just kept attacking each other. It was almost like a schoolboy race. The conditions were obviously treacherous. When they came into the finish, um, they, they were over cobbles as well. Nobody got out of the saddle. Uh, pick, I think, went too early, but obviously not very confident in his sprint. And Arts came past him to take a very well-deserved win, his team's third win of the Giro, the second victor to win a stage this Giro.
3: After victor.
2: Yeah, after victor, Lafay. Oh, well done, yes, Daniel. Good. And, uh, yeah, so, uh, I mean, a very well-deserved win by Campinarts and a, a very entertaining press conference afterwards. No changes overall or in any of the jerseys. Although... Jeffrey Bouchard in the King of Mountains jersey did look in some pain and he may well have been caught up in the crash as well.
0: Still guessing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rights that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights and personalized analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. The Cycling Podcast, powered by Super Sapiens.
4: My name is Kevin Sprouse. I'm a sports medicine physician, head of medicine for EF Nippo Pro Cycling, and I also have a practice called Podium Sports Medicine in the US. One of my other positions is I'm a scientific advisor for Super Sapiens. I think we've all experienced that phenomenon where the tank just totally goes empty. And it's never at a convenient place in our ride. It's it's always with 20, 30 miles more to get home. And a device like this, it gives us a view into that fuel tank. It is the fuel gauge, right? It tells us if the numbers are just constantly declining, uh, we can see that we're approaching a, a place of no return. And so it can be a great view to help avoid those things. I don't think it will be the end of bonking. I don't think it will be the the end of these, you know, uh, on your hands and knees at the side of the road, so to speak, uh, because that's not the only thing that causes it. Um, you know, one of the things I like about this kind of technology is, oftentimes when we have a bad ride, we'll blame nutrition, we'll blame the fact that we didn't take enough gels or didn't drink at the right time or or didn't have that bar. But sometimes that wasn't it. Sometimes we just weren't fit enough. So this helps us delineate where fueling has led to the collapse and where maybe it's something else so i don't think it'll be the end of that but i do think we'll see it cut significantly when people are wearing these and paying attention to it
3: nicholas at the end there it was very dangerous and slippery i mean was that what maybe stopped you guys from coming back ultimately you didn't want to take too many risks yeah i think we would have a higher chance of course if it would be dry but the the guys were also super strong and I actually hope that on the on the final, or actually the second last climb, and the last climb, that we have a good chance to come back. But at the end, the guys in front were so strong that we didn't make it. And uh, yeah, lucky them. And uh, unfortunately for us, it was just for the third place.
2: That was Nikias Arndt, the DSM rider, who, you, who featured in your 18 tips for today, Daniel. He was third on the stage.
3: Yeah, he's becoming increasingly um, sort of incisive and well he's good at finishing these these moves off generally not least because he's a very quick rider but as he said there the rain definitely played a role in the finale and i it, i'm not going to say it came down to who was willing to take the most risk but certainly we saw Campanacci taking risks and we saw him skidding out on the final descent but um he managed Molema to Molomar did a very strange
2: yes. he lost control of his bike at one point and yeah. somehow managed to stay up managed to stay upright that really took the impetus out of the chase though i thought at a moment where it went down to about 15 seconds yeah
3: it did the victory for Victor, Campanart Arts, again, Rich, it sort of bore out what we said the other day. And, you know, I asked him about this in the press conference, a change in attitude, a change in spirit. And I thought it was really interesting. He said that the majority of the Quebec Quebeca Assos team were at a point at the end of last year where they didn't know whether they were going to be professional cyclists again this year. And that has sort of unshackled them or it's certainly given them a level of gratitude and a a level of sort of or a spirit of kind of carpe diem. They're racing this year or they've seemed to be racing as though each day was almost going to be their last. I mean, he also talks about the the team's charitable sort of vocation it's charitable goals and that's something that the riders on that team always mention I, I think it does you know it's more than just PR it it does kind of touch them particularly the ones who have been to South Africa and seen what the Quebeca charity do but it's really interesting this, this transformation this very intentional transformation that Camping Arts has undergone because we do see riders occasionally you know go from being sprinters to rulers or vice versa or time trials to you know Sprinters, whatever, um, and often it's a kind of natural transition which comes about due to circumstances. You know, for example, Marcel Kittel started life as a time trialist and became a and became a sprinter. Max Valscheid who was instrumental in that victory for Camping Arts today. Really, he started, and he's still, to a certain extent, a sprinter. But in this race, we've seen him deployed as a lead-out man and as a kind of battering ram for today, Camping But what campan did at the end of last year, he was very pragmatic about the new talent emerging on the sort of time trial scene, the Cavaniers, the Ganners, um, Rowan Dennis still... Wow, Van Aert. I mean, he well, can't even
2: get in the Belgian team, can well, he? Yeah,
3: there you go. And um, And instead of sort of, you know, still... Pursuing this, well, this speciality that has has been his forte for the last few years, um, he realised that the best he could hope for when when they were all assembled was maybe fourth, fifth, sixth place. Um, he decided that he was going to completely change as a rider and and become a sort of serial attacker, serial aggressor. We saw it in the classics earlier this year, didn't we? Particularly in the sort of Belgian semi classics, didn't always work, but he was always on the attack and. Um, today you know he he's epitomized that spirit because he attacked on numerous occasions
2: and he was just very very spirited proactive he was a man on a mission today that's what it looked like he he was at the heart of every single move from the second the flag dropped well the flag dropped twice he was at the heart of everything he instigated everything and it was a thoroughly deserved win, but that this is the way he's ridden, and it's not paid off for him until now. But in riding like that, he's clearly, you know, improved his level, and he rode with a real sort of authority there. And it, as you say, a pragmatic choice. He's still the World Hour record holder, you know. He su- should still be one of the best time trials in the world, but he, he's not clearly even working on his time trialing at all at the moment. And this this switch for him has paid off. Quebec and Astros have won three out of the last five stages of the Giro which is remarkable. He also said in his uh, interviews after the finish that they are, in, in some ways, in the same situation as last year. They're riding for their futures. They. I don't think this has been made explicit before, but he, he mentioned that Doug Ryder, team principal, is looking for sponsors and, and that this win or these wins might help him in that. But he said the team doesn't have a main sponsor for next year. So the rescue package put together at the end of last year by ASOS, a clothing manufacturer, uh, you know, because Quebec are a charity, they're not a a paying uh, partner. Um, but with ASSOS and other partners on the team, clearly that was just for one year—a sticking plaster to keep the thing together, with the hope that they could achieve the results that might attract a major sponsor and they're, they're certainly playing their part the riders
3: yeah we, we talked earlier this year didn't we rich about the two things that can happen when you have a, a pretty motley assortment of riders and nationalities it can it can become very disparate and it can be quite difficult to forge a you know a, a camaraderie and, and a spirit particularly when you know these are riders who i don't think they did long training camps partly because of covid so they you know they haven't ridden together that much um it can it can be very difficult to to as i say create team spirit in that environment but on the other hand we've seen teams like that before with where that mix of nationalities in particular and mix of backgrounds mix of type of riders has really sort of coalesced and come together in something quite magical and I get the sense that is what is happening we talked yesterday about or a couple of days ago about the underdog spirit which I think is really kind of fermenting macerating there and We've seen it, well, we've seen it this week and, you know, it's been notable in each of those occasions how, it, we, with what sort of affection the winners have spoken about their team and their teammates and
2: the role that their teammates have played in their victories. They don't have great depth in the team. We were wondering about Nizzolo and whether he'd go to the tour. I think the fact he pulled out today is is almost, you would think, confirmation of that. And he's... A great option for them at the, the, the Tour de France as well. He's really their, their winner, isn't he? Their talisman. Um, the the day started, though, with that very sickening crash, uh, which obviously at, at high speed, we didn't really see footage of the crash itself, I don't think, but we saw the aftermath and the whole road was blocked and all the, the, the medical staff on the race were obviously attending to the stricken riders. One rider caught up in the crash was James Knox of De Kooning Quickstepper, our diarist and I guess one of the very unusual things about that breakaway today was that there was no quick step riders in it and here in tonight's diary James tells us a little bit about that as well as looking ahead to, not forward to but
1: looking ahead to tomorrow's stage so that's stage 15 done yeah a bit of a shit day all round to be honest big pile up in the start Um, I went down a lot of guys went down actually Yeah, there must have been about 30 guys on the deck a lot of people quickly up and going but Miguel. A on my team was pretty skinned. I lost a bit of skin on my arse. Hips and elbows sort of thing, but yeah, really. Not too bad, just always shit to crash. Pretty scary. Going really fast, big tailwind. I think it was like a good 20-30km per hour tailwind on that. Passageway over the... Not sure if they were like marshes or salt flats or whatever, but... Yeah, going fast, lots of stress. Everyone wanted to be in the break, pushing forward. Four of us on our team were supposed to be going for the break. Um, We were all in that danger zone, lurking around, you know, position 20 to 60 in the bunch. And yeah, a couple of guys came together and I was in the middle of the road and before you know it, the crash had started on the left and I think just about the whole road was blocked, really. Smashed my bike up, definitely broke my front wheel, but nothing else really. Jumped on the spare bike in a panic and then before I knew it, the the race was, was neutralized, which looking back now, yeah, it was a pretty big call to make, obviously pretty severe crash, a lot of people involved, Buckman out, Van Endem out, Natio, Bahan, Bahani, however you say, also out. I guess from my perspective, obviously, I was happy the race was neutralised, I know some people in the front weren't, difficult call that, don't really want to wade into the debate, because tricky one, I guess the only thing you could say, was literally 500 metres, from the start of the race, I think, I think we just, yeah, rolled off the gun. don't think it, we barely got in anywhere, uh, from what I remember. Really, we were going 60, 65 kilometers per hour, and we were, I was down in a flash. Everyone slamming on. Bike was sort of cut over the, front, the back wheel of someone else, uh, front wheel, and just fell to the ground with a few other people. But is it what it is. Big stop to the race. And then we got rolling, and at one point in the air piece we heard we'll get to the, the right turn, which was like 10k in, I think, and then we'll restart. And then next minute was one minute, and we're going... Um, and a bit frustrating for us. I mean, we were all sort of a bit dazed. Four of us had been caught up in the crash, even though only two of us really took any damage. And I guess we all sort of lost our nerve a bit and all started down the rear end of the bunch, which didn't help anyone today, especially when we were going for the break. And um, yeah, break was gone from the restart. Um, and that was kind of our race. Ruin, to be honest, just sort of rolled around after that, getting it done, and then we all got Piss wet through and cold, and I'm actually really, really cold. I was just in shorts and Jersey, a stressful little finishing circuit in Slovenia. We got a jacket earlier, but we were went from, yeah, obviously when it started, it went from, it must have been like 18 degrees and sunny to 10 degrees and raining. So that wasn't, that wasn't very nice, but grabbed a little vest in the end, but it just turned into a bit of a parade, which is almost worse. Just getting across the line, not actually really racing, just shivering and hating every single moment of it. Yeah. We had to wait a little bit at the finish. Michael jumped in the ambulance, the little, mo- little x-ray mobile. Did an x-ray, so he's okay. Dry had control, which is miserable a miserable day to have control. And obviously we were a little bit mopey and disappointed with the day, to be honest. Good chance for a couple of us to get up the road was sort of ruined. And yeah, in the end we just finished wet, cold and miserable. So Spirit's not exactly through the roof right now, to be honest, myself included. Extra annoyed that I crashed, even though there wasn't much I could do about it. Notable points of the day. Slovenia, first time I've been there. Tick that one off for the 5k of Slovenia I've seen. Lots of people out. Jan Tratnik, the most popular man in the bunch today, getting cheered, pushed, screamed in his face the whole way up the little climb with the Slovenian fans. I reckon he had a good day. Mohoric missed out. A lot of people out supporting him even though I wasn't there. Good day to be a Slovenian. Slovenians putting on a show. It like being in the world champs or something. Yeah, well, it was really, it was packed. It was pretty, it was pretty entertaining actually, in fairness. That was, that was nice. Looking forward. Tomorrow looks like a disaster. Um, weather forecast couldn't be much worse. we got rain, which turns to sleet, which turns to snow at the top of the passes. We've got 80 degrees in the finish, zero degrees on the top, 5,500 meters of climbing. Yeah, I'm not up for it. Holy shit, what am I gonna wear? What am I gonna do? <sighs> yeah, I'm gonna have to psych myself up for this one.
0: The Cycling Podcast at the 2021 Giro d'Italia is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport, fueled by science.
2: Thanks very much indeed to Science in Sport, our sponsor for supporting the Cycling Podcast. If you want 25% off all your Science in Sport products, go to scienceinsport.com and at the checkout, enter the code SISCP25. Now, today, of course, was Super Sunday, where listeners predicted the winner of today's stage. I think they did better than Daniel in, mm. in doing so, because two... I notice how you point it out when I don't do well, but when I do exceedingly well, n- it's not mentioned. It's as though it didn't happen. Yeah, that's... that's. That. Did you expect anything else? <laughs> no, not really. Um, yeah, so two listeners did pick Victor Campenarts. By the way, this is our third Super Sunday. final one will be next week. This is a competition run in conjunction with Science and Sport to win £80 worth of science and sport goodies. Lionel is in charge of managing this competition, uh, and he sent me a message, incredible drama in the SIS Super Sunday Predict the Stage Winner competition. Two people picked Victor Campanarts and after a tension-packed coin toss, we can confirm that the winner is Mike Davis. Well done, Mike. We'll email you to get your details so science and sport can send you your energy bundle in the post last chance to win next sunday go to thecyclingpodcast.com to have a chance to win that's a lovely church bell we're hearing in the background there we're also putting Stacy well we're not Stacy Snyder is putting her mugs cappuccino sets and gelato bowls batch number 2 on sale on wednesday wednesday may the 26th that is the day after the rest day 10am east us east coast time so those sales of those uh, uh, lovely items, and they sold out in five minutes the first time around, uh, sales will benefit two good causes, the Masaka Cycling Club in Uganda and Marina Romilly's Foundation. We had an interview with Marina a couple of days ago, um, and uh, they're both very worthy good causes. Stacey is also producing a Peddler de Charme mug. So this week we'll be taking your nominations for a Peddler de Charme from the Giro and one final bit of business press conference on Tuesday, press conference episode. Please send us your questions. Contact at the We prefer an audio file, please. Uh, but you can write us a question if you prefer um, yourself to do so. Contact at the cyclingpodcast.com.
5: chiamato mi ha chiamato mi ha detto grande Lorenzo in, in dialetto bolognese e, grande Lorenzo no, <laughs> non lo so non lo so però sai you know, lui che parla lui ha sempre lui ha sempre la no?
3: Però, no Well Daniel I believe that was Lucky Lorenzo it was Lucky Lorenzo causing great hilarity in the mix zone this morning he positively hopped, skipped and jumped into the uh, mix zone, we said yesterday he was, well, he was at a ray of sunshine in his press conference after the stage yesterday and as I said causing hilarity this morning because he, well we mentioned yesterday that he's from the same village as Alberto Tomba, La Bomba, the great uh, Italian skier. He told us this morning that he actually spoke to La Bomba last night um, on the phone. And we asked him, well, what did he say to you? And he said, oh, he, he congratulated me. He said, Grande Lorenzo in Bolognese dialect. Now, dialects in, in Italy, well, there's a different dialect in almost every town or village. But, you you know, often they're very different from Italian. So we said to him, well, okay, so what's Grande Lorenzo in um, Bolognese dialect? And he said, Grande Lorenzo. <laughs> um well, you learn something new every day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yep. Now you know. The, um, hence the, the riotous laughter you heard He, he,
2: he seemed like a real uh, live wire. He, he he's a small, is. diminutive guy, like a little, um, I don't know, frog or something. He was very, very lively and yeah. so happy to stand there chatting for a while, it seemed.
3: Yes, I mean, I said to him today, I referred, well, the quote that we had in our Kilometre Zero from uh, Alfredo Martini the other day, that that the bicycle is a smile, and I I put this to Lorenzo this morning, I said that, you know, you epitomise that, Lorenzo, and he said, look, you know, cycling's a hard sport, it's hard uphill, it's hard downhill, it's hard on the flat, and if you can smile and you can laugh, then the time goes a bit quicker. Wow.
2: So we went into Slovenia today, Daniel, the only time on this Giro went outside the... Italian border. That seemed to be a bit of a hit. Crossing borders is not easy these days, but the riders presented their PCR certificates (laughs) as they as they crossed the border and they were fine. And there was another
3: jovial yeah, chap in the mix zone this morning. Always very, very jovial and uh, uh, sort of ambassador for... Not, not the impression I had of him. No. We're talking about
2: Jan Tratnik. Yeah, here. we
3: are. And then we, well, we met an ambassador yesterday, didn't we? The American ambassador to Italy. Um, Jan Tratnik was a very good ambassador for Slovenia in the mix zone this morning. Of course, yesterday Jan Tratnik was... He did finish second, didn't he? Um, he was a very unlucky loser to lucky Lorenzo. And I asked him about that and the Giro's short incursion into Slovenia today. Yesterday, well, obviously a very near miss. How disappointed were you? And just how did you try to play that finale? What what
0: was the idea in your head? Just go fast as possible to the finish line because then it's no tactic. Just if you have in the legs something left, you put out. Otherwise, there is no tactic because it's so steep climb and you cannot do anything.
3: And is it a memory to savour or were you very disappointed last night? No I couldn't be
0: disappointed because uh, for my type of cyclist and my body composition I think I did a great job Um, uh, and actually I don't even know from where I get this power but it was really amazing and in the end, if you know when I crossed the finish line, I knew that I gave my all. But one guy was stronger, and congrats to him. And just last thing, we're going to Slovenia
3: today. Tell us one thing on the route that we should
0: look out for, or a place that maybe
3: after the Giro we should visit. That's on the route.
0: Uh, yeah, today will be many spectators there, many fans, many friends, family, and uh, for sure will be great. Uh, where we pass, yeah. For sure you need to visit because they are producing really good wine, really good food, so you are welcome, yeah.
2: Well, as Jan Tratnik and uh, James Knox said earlier in his diary that uh, Tratnik was the the most popular man in the bunch today, Um, a huge occasion for Slovenian cycling fans uh, to have the Giro when cycling is riding so high in that country. And Daniel, we, I suppose we're close to the, the border here and we're close to Trieste, where It reminded me of we covered this in the Giro last in our our Giro last year when we did an episode of the 1946 race, Um, and it it feels quite sort of industrial around here, Um, and you've got these kind of long big plains and the the mountains in the background. Uh, We haven't been into Trieste itself, but a stage of the race that year um, was was ambushed, wasn't it, by because Trieste at the time was was occupied by the British and the Americans. But Yugoslavia had a claim to it as well. So there was a lot of tension, a lot of controversy about the Giro visiting Trieste at all. It was taken out of the route and then put back in, and the race was stopped. And I, I, I think riders were, well, stones were thrown. They might even be, been shot at as well. And some of the riders can actually did continue to the yes. to the finish. And they think they've got it tough
3: now. Well, yeah. And in the same period, That's Rich... a joke, by the way. In, in the same period... Um, so after the Second World War had finished, really, because we're talking about 1946, there was an event or a series of events which um, cast a very dark shadow over the whole region. Um, we released a Kilometre Zero today about the very checkered history of this region, the Friuli region, and how um, it, it's it's passed from, you know, the Austro-Hungarian Empire to Italy to, you know, Yugoslavia. And there are all sorts of linguistic influences and cultural influences influences and it's often been very contentious but in 1946 the Yugoslav partisans were well depending on on which accounts you read they were either exacting revenge for atrocities committed by Italian fascists or they were simply try, trying to protect the um, the the communist regime that was that had, you know obviously been set up um by the Soviet Union at the end of the war. Um, but this led to something, uh, a phenomenon, that is known initially as Le Foibe. I learned today that our good friend and colleague, Luca Giallanella, from La Gazzetta dello Sport, grew up or spent most of his youth in Gorizia, when Gorizia was somewhere where this phenomenon of the Foibe, Le Foibe, is, is a very big issue. I asked Luca today to explain what Le Foibe are and why they're so important in the history of this region.
5: You have to focus on what happened after the Second World War, because in the 46, 1946-1947, uh, this area was occupied by the Yugoslavian partisans of Tito, and uh, on that period dates back the, the famous uh, event of the Foibe, with uh, thousands of people who were killed in this Big hole in the in the Carso, just uh, at the at the back of uh, of Gorizia. When we hear the word "foibe,"
3: what does that mean? What does what it, it refer the, to? It is referred to the big
5: hole in the Carso in this region, in the mountain in the behind, behind Gorizia. And behind, behind Gorizia going going to Trieste, and uh, they are very deep, hundreds of meter. We are at the end of the Second World War, but in this area the wall. Continued for some years, the, the Yugoslavian partisans took the people. Uh, usually, they tied each other with uh, iron wire. Usually, one of them was shot to death, and the other was ki- was kept ki- was kept alive. And then, both the, of them or many of of many of them linked uh, in the same way were threw into the into this hole. So, it would be better to be killed immediately because uh, I, I was told that uh, from there to Gorizia in the, in the evening at dawn uh, there were people who were still alive in this hall and uh, with the still air you could, ha- you could hear uh, their laments their, their, their voices and uh, this is a part of uh, Italian history which uh, I would say was removed for decades And uh, only with the President Napolitano, I would say around the 2000 years, Italy opened his eyes to what happened in this region. And uh, in January, at the end of January, or in February, or at the beginning of February, there is a date Which was devoted to the um, remembrance of what happens in this area, not only in Gorizia but even in uh, around Trieste, in all all this part here. You know, Trieste was divided in two parts. One of them was uh, occupied by the Allied armies, that is, uh, British and Americans, and the other was occupied by the, the Yugoslavian Yugoslavian troops. So, what happened here dates back to 70, 75 years ago. And this is the meaning of this uh, of this uh, stage of the giro.
3: Well, that was fascinating, Rich, and really quite um, shocking. I mean, I knew a bit about it, but I didn't. Well, I wasn't quite prepared for that graphic detail that Luca gave us about you know these people being being sort of dropped into sinkholes, tied together, and then you know people in Gorizia possibly hearing their laments. You know, when they woke woke up in the morning, these people who had been Um, you know dropped into these underground passages holes and to die And um, as he said, it's something that not that much was known about or not that much was understood about. In fact, I looked today and it was established in 2006 that in one month in Gorizia in 1945, a thousand people were rounded up and they disappeared effectively. And the assumption is that they were put into these foibe. But also Luca, you know, it was fascinating as well. We didn't hear it there, but he talked about... Growing up in Gorizia in this sense of tension, and this sense of, you know, of, of really not knowing from one day to the next what the, the city and the, the region's future might be. He said when Tito, so the, um, Tito, the Yugoslav leader, died in 1980, Luca lived next to the railway station and all of a sudden one evening um, carriages were just being loaded up with tanks and this was because the people of Gorizia and the Italians thought that with Tito dying the Soviet Union would invade Italy because Tito had kind of been a bit of a bulwark, a bit of a buffer against the Soviet Union the Soviet Union's ambitions and yeah, the people in Gorizia, the Italians thought that the Soviets were going to invade, that was 1980 and you know, there have been all sorts of other um, well flashpoints and you know the, the Yugoslavs war in um, civil war when the Iron Curtain did finally fall and it's just a really fascinating region Um I talked about it with John Foote in the Kilometer Zero that came out today and today the stage was very symbolic it, it was a celebration of um, you know this harmony that there the now is that now reigns between Slovenia and Italy and the fact that as you said earlier it's a completely open border in an age when Borders are going up for various reasons, whether it's Brexit or whether it's you know COVID at the moment. Um, the restrictions
2: on travel. Reading recommendation: I've never been to Trieste, as we call it, um, but I, it's it's the subject of a very interesting travel book by Jan Morris. Trieste mentioned
3: in the Columbina Zero by John Foote. I haven't
2: read. I haven't. I haven't listened to the Kilometer Zero. You have too busy here at the. I'm, I'm too busy making the next Kilometer Zero. Uh, Trieste and the Meaning of Nowhere by Jan Morris So if you haven't listened to Clum Zero That's recommended by me And it's reading that book that actually makes me want to go there But I still haven't managed to go there on the Giro yet Daniel, we're looking ahead to the Dolomites tomorrow It definitely is the Dolomites No, no, no No doubt or no Tomorrow is the that. classic Dolomite stage Rich. The classic Dolomite stage But as James Knox said it's, Well, we're expecting terrible weather One little observation yes. I had tonight in the press conference was just how cold Egan Bernal looked, and it was confirmed that he was very cold. He was wrapped up, um, and he looked he looked cold. He was sort of shivering and uh, a bit haunted-looking. Um, and I think that, you know, the, the bunch did kind of, you know, once the break had gone, Ineos, Grenadiers, sat in the front and kept a very controlled pace, and they came in. That's fine, but there is, a, in conditions like we had today... In fact... To get an understanding of the conditions that we had today, let's have a little bit of slow radio. Well, that was the rain, that was me sheltering at the finish um, as the rain fell down and... It was cold. It was wet. It was miserable. As James Knox said, he was, you know, just in his racing gear. Um, and when you're sitting in a bunch behind a team riding in a very controlled way, as any of us were, you, de- you do get really cold. And actually, you're far better off being up the road in the breakaway. Those guys tonight will be fine. The guys in the in the break, including Bernal, will all have got really cold, and they could they could pay for that. Down the down the road.
3: They could rich. And tomorrow is well we go over three thousand meters. Oh, sorry, we go over two thousand metres three times. Um classic Dolomite climbs, the Fedaya, which for my money is probably the hardest climb in the Dolomites, then the Pordoi. The most beautiful. Mm, then the Jiao. I would say the Jau is probably is take some beating. And the Jiao, Rich, um, is overlooked by a mountain called the Croda del Lago. Very dear to the heart of someone we've mentioned a few times in the podcast this year and in previous years, Dino Buzzati, the great Italian novelist, who spent a lot of time in the Dolomites, was a native of very near the Dolomites. And wrote a classic account in the nineteen forty nine Giro d'Italia, and his ashes are scattered over the Croda del Lago. Um, which is the last mountain he ever climbed before he died and yeah, the um del Lago overlooks the Jau so we'll be thinking of Dino Buzzati
2: tomorrow, won't we? Is there a risk to the stage? I mean, we're expecting this terrible weather is the sta- is, is stage in, in, in any doubt? I didn't
3: hear anything to that effect today although I did see the Italian riders representative Christian Salvato deep in conversation with some um, top bods from RCS this morning and it did make me slightly worried could um, be one of them ones. It could it? be one of them ones. It could be one of them ones. I mean, I'm not saying the weather's getting worse, but it's getting worse. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, I was gonna. What was I? Go- oh, yes, Richard. I'm gonna indulge you for a minute by we we referenced this as well. Another sort of literary reference um, earlier or a few a few days ago. Your countryman, your dear countryman. Alexander Robertson who wrote about the Dolomites in the 1903 book Through the Dolomites this was his description this is what we can expect see. Compared to coral reef this is what we we can expect to see tomorrow providing um, the clouds aren't shrouding the Dolomite peaks what Venice is among cities these Dolomites are among mountains in line and colour form and behaviour they are unlike other mountains they resemble reefs over which may have broken throughout long ages the billows of an angry ocean Mm. got away with words the sky they do
2: some of them do some (laughs) of them do absolutely Uh, yeah that was nice you stole that for your book didn't you mountain high
3: Uh, Yeah, I credited it. It wasn't plagiarised.
2: Yeah, no, that's absolutely fine. No, but but it's beautiful. I hope hope we can see them for that reason. Because they're different to other mountain ranges, aren't they? They
3: are different to other mountain ranges. And, you know, let's hope, let's hope that someone can inject a little bit of suspense into this general classification. Who might that be, Daniel? Well, it could be the resurgent Simon Yates, about whom stories emerged overnight, that he might have had some kind of issue, some kind of health problem, injury problem in the first week, and that seems to have been resolved, hence why he performed so well on Lodzon Zonkalan. Well, Simon Yates came into the mix zone this morning, so I asked him about it. Last night, there was word and there were a few reports about you having had problems in the first week. I don't know whether it was health problems, can you tell us any more about that?
1: Uh, yeah, just niggles here and there, a few muscular problems as well, but yeah. Uh feeling much better so uh, hopefully I can uh, continue with the same legs I had yesterday for the rest of the race. Did it handicap you at all in the first week? Uh, It's hard to say I mean uh, I was always losing a few seconds here and there and I also lost a few seconds uh, yesterday to the Bernal as well so look I'll just keep plugging away and we'll see what we can do.
3: Looking at the general classification there are a lot of guys there who for whom it will be an amazing result to finish third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh you be happy with second or have you your eyes still very much on La Malia Raza?
1: I mean, I'll try. If I have legs, I will try. It's going to be hard to dislodge uh, Bernal. He was there yesterday and he still put some time into me, so we'll see. I mean, it's a bit of a cliche, but it's his race to lose now, I think.
3: You are not someone who's ever sort of scared of attacking. Presumably, you want to be aggressive in this last week.
1: I mean, if I have the legs, yes. Uh, I, li- I like to race that way. I enjoy watching that style of racing as well, so uh, that helps as well. But bah, I'll see what I can do, but can't promise anything.
2: Simon Yates. Then, I mean, all our hopes are pinned on Simon Yates, in in the sense not for any certainly not for any nationalistic reasons, but for for reasons of wanting the race to be um, exciting and and close and dramatic over these last few stages. Where you know, because the rest day is on Tuesday and Wednesday will seem very close to Milan, won't it? Yes, Rich, it will, and we are relying on Simon Yates
3: for a bit of drama, for a bit of suspense, um, because well, I'm slightly disappointed, as I said last night, with the way, you know, the, it, in some ways it's it's yielded some great underdog stories, the fact that break has gone every day, but on the other hand, I think it's... It maybe reflects not not poorly, but it shows the fact that um, you know, we, we were talking about it in the car, a team like the Koenig Quick Step of they don't have a rider like Ala they don't have a quick rider, so they're not competing for or they're not trying to keep the, the race together for stage wins and and it has often seemed as though there are two races within a race: a race for the stage, race for the general classification. And that's not something that I particularly enjoy or relish if it keeps happening, which it has kept happening.
2: The one stage, Bernard's one, he didn't even know he'd won because he thought the break was was still away, which says something. Um, I'm I'm very sorry about Buchmann having to with uh, saw him in the mix zone this this morning, and you know he didn't have a great day on the on but. He's still he's still a rider who might have got stronger as this third week went on.
3: Rich, we should before we go mention well the food we were in the process of ordering um, when we recorded the podcast last night. The pork fillet marinated in coffee wow. was a bit of a revelation. Kept me it? awake. Did it seriously? No, I, don't, I don't
2: think so. But it was delicious. Yeah, you could um, very tender.
3: You could really taste that artisan hipster barista. Didn't taste espresso, licorice, couldn't you? didn't you? Not so much. That was very very subtle. I did a deep dive today. I don't think I can get through this, but my ongoing quest to untangle the strands of thick spaghetti like pasta all over italy which well, has different an, names definitely an appetite for i this. mean i think there'd be a whole podcast just on the different names in umbria which is one region that we visited a few days ago so i was looking up today strangozzi Ciriole, manfrigoli yeah manfrigoli umbricelli bringoli anguilette that's just one region then if you go to tuscany the same type of pasta pici. you go to the veneto bigoli il Goethe Abruzzo tonarelli o spaghettoni alla chitarra o maccheroni alla chitarra Puglia troccoli uh, there, are, there are others, there are others, That's, I've only just started, we can't, I, I don't know, I'm going to have to find a media, I might have to launch a, new, a different, a new podcast just to try and explain, because there's there's all sorts of interesting information about the the etymology of these words, these names, you know, some of them mean caterpillar, some of them mean little leather straps used to th- used to ring the necks of priests in, you know, many centuries ago. Wow. There's all sorts.
2: Wow. One little storyline, we're going to try and follow up on Worth, uh, uh, worth uh, worth mentioning. A photograph that a lot of people saw today of George Bennett, um, turning round on the Zong Clan on his way, because the riders, a lot of people might not know this, but the riders on mountain finishes like that often have to ride back down the mountain to their team buses. They had about three kilometers to go yesterday, which was pretty unpleasant in those conditions. Bennett, on his way down, uh, saw his teammate, um, Eduardo Afini, who'd been such a, a great help to him during the stage. Turned round and, and and helped them back up the climb. Um, rode with them back up the climb. So I'm going to try and speak to Afini and Bennett tomorrow about that. Um, but quite incredible to see. As if riding it once wasn't bad enough. Um, but it, it, you got a sense. Just even there was a brilliant picture by uh, Jared Gruber, um, and it was it, you got a sense maybe that could it Bennett been a deep fake.
3: Could it have been a photo uh,
2: Well <laughs> I don't know what you're accusing Jared of there, but you um, got a sense that Bennett maybe felt like he'd he'd let his teammate down because uh, I'm not, you know he shouldn't have felt that obviously because he tried his best to try and win the stage, but Afeni had made such a sacrifice for him that Bennett maybe felt he owed him something, and so he rode with him back up the climb. But we will try to get to the bottom of this. Meantime, we should go and uh, have dinner, Daniel. Yes,
3: we should, Richard, we should. Um, I don't know, hopefully, well, there might be something different on the menu this evening. Um, Oh, yeah, I'm
2: not having more um, caffeinated pork.
3: No, um, I would like to have... Better than chlorinated
2: chicken, I suppose.
3: What are the, the pasta that we've had in this region quite often before? There are a lot of very strange names. I also went into this in my Kilometre Zero, the... Um, how difficult Friulano is. And I asked David Chimolai of Israel Startup Nation, who is from Friuli but doesn't speak fluent Friulano, unlike Matteo Fabro. But I asked Chimolai to give me a sentence, just one sentence, any sentence in um, Friulano. And it was what he said. I did sort of understand and it was vulgar it was very vulgar and um, I mean it's I a good t- thing t- t- I
2: I am going to listen to this episode <laughs> I am I anyway am. The, the sh- I just didn't have time the do.
3: oddities of the Friulano language um, and vernacular Charsons are the past uh, Charsons Charsons um, you have to pronounce it in a kind of Peter Sagan-style accent, I think. Oh,
2: this sounds like the cue for another Peter Sagan No, no, impression. no. Um, and they were
3: kind of ravioli. I
2: did spot hey. them. There were
3: some on the menu, I think, last night. I'm going to have them tonight.
2: Great. Well, I'll maybe have the same. Um, thanks very much, Daniel. Do remember, people to send in your questions for our press conference
3: charsons the filling they've got wild herbs ricotta raisins potatoes cocoa, cinnamon and other spices all in the same ravioli in the same perfect pocket of pasta
2: i like all these things (laughs) so i think i'll have that that's brilliant send in your questions for our press conference contact at thecyclingpodcast.com thanks very much daniel thank you
3: finding myself using my bike a bit more these days, especially for those haven't seen you in ages. Fancy one of those trendy, frothy coffee-type trips? It's not just grabbing a bit of exercise. It's taking in more of your local area. You know? The sounds. Like that. Ah, don't cry, little man. Wherever you're going, there's good in every journey when you bike it or walk it. Download the TFL
4: Go app to find walking and cycling routes. To the Mayor of London and TFL, every journey matters.